Welcome back to Global Nomad Hacks. Today, I'm excited to introduce to you Anne Sieg. She's the founder of e-commerce business school. Talk about a fitting work style for the remote lifestyle. Welcome, Anne. Hey, great to be here, Heidi. Thanks so much for having me here. So how did you come about working in the e-commerce space? Because this is really a new and upcoming space. And I know you've got an interesting story that even led you into working here. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it actually goes back. Mm, This is going to date me. So here we go. So I homeschooled my three sons for 12 years. And during that time, because we had run numerous businesses, it was very natural for me to constantly pull our sons into our businesses that we had at that time and uh, was exposed to Robert Kiyosaki's books, Cashflow Quadrant, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I impressed upon my eldest son, who was in ninth grade at this time, and I said, you know what, you need to read every one of this guy's books. And so my son ended up running numerous businesses during his four-year high school schooling. And uh, so he said, Mom, Rob and I are going to do an eBay business. Great. So then he got all, he's putting up quotes on the wall by Michael Gerber and all this kind of stuff. And he's got a business calendar and he's getting all business-like. And so anyways, they had an eBay business selling swords, memorabilia from Lord of the Rings, et cetera. And I was charged with getting the product shipped out, which meant I only was the driver. I actually didn't do any bit of the business. And that was kind of always my philosophy. This is for you to do. But because the youngest one did the shipping and he was in seventh grade, he needed a ride to the post office. And it was, mom, we have to have these on on time because we need those five-star ratings. So that was with my two sons who were maybe 12 and 15 at that time. And then years later, after having launched a digital marketing training company in 2007, we shifted back into the e-commerce space, if you will, looped back after 20 some years. And so that's been six years since we shifted. And I love to train. My parents parents were both teachers. I ran a sports gym for 12 years. I just like training and coaching. It's just kind of like breathing. And so we shifted into e-commerce and our students did extremely well. And I was like, great, we've got a place where people can excel very quickly. So that's it in a quick nutshell. So, I mean, this is fascinating because this is really, it's a lot of that conversation we're having about the future of work and the future of education for that matter. And sort of that they, you know, the kids are no longer, they don't wait until they graduate from high school to get involved in business or to get, and that, you know, parents can influence by giving, you know, giving kids opportunities or encouraging them to take on their own inspiration and opportunities to create their own businesses. And that's really a, a big shift. And e-commerce or digital marketing are clearly right in that space. I'm curious, I mean, uh, have you ever, during that process, did you find that this was something that your peers were doing as well? Or were people asking you about how do you make that happen and without it being disruptive with your family life? Or where's the balance there? Because I think ultimately, you know, Right now, everyone is experiencing working from home and schooling from home and everything, but that was sort of ingrained in the way that you lived and thrived. Are there some lessons that you drew from that that you could share? A lot of lessons. I'm sure. (laughs) I have a whole philosophy around it. One of my favorite quotes that guided my educational philosophy was from, from William Yates, who said, learning is not the filling of a bucket 
but the lighting of a fire. And I just love that because I am rather adverse to the, my mom was a Title I teacher. So I grew up with teachers. So I was kind of inculcated with their philosophy and I'm a product of them, et cetera. And so I had a lot of confidence about the idea of homeschooling my kids only for the fact that I kind of, in a sense, was homeschooled. I, I mean, I went to traditional schooling, but my parents raised me with the philosophy, you know, my foundation. And so when I felt my job as an educator was to find the bent of each child. And that was, you know, yes, the rudiments, the basics, writing, reading, arithmetic. And they have all excelled extremely well at writing. And also in that philosophy is I've done my job if they know how to self-educate. And like, to me, that's the most important thing beyond, you know, giving them the platform and the resources to expose them to a variety of things, musical instruments, acting. I mean, the list went on and on and it was fun. I was spoiled, rotten, because I was getting a second education. So it was very, very fun. I thoroughly enjoyed it. But I wanted them to be able to self-educate. And unfortunately, with the rote kind of system that's been designed, it's actually somewhat antiquated because it was all built around the Industrial Revolution. And the Industrial Revolution has long come and gone. It doesn't exist. We're now a global economy. And I'm also really big on one of the number one skills that they can learn is learning how to resource together in teams of people. That's how you will thrive and survive in today's economy because the Lone Ranger model doesn't really work anymore. And so we have, for example, our company is very international. We've got Filipino VAs. Everyone works digitally. This is how it's been 15 years. So this is like breathing to me. But and with my team, it's self-education. I'm looking for and I'm always, where's the you know, where they shine, even though I hired them for a specific job. So I'm kind of digressing a little bit, but it, it bridges my educational philosophy of how I raise my kids also is how I run my business and my company. So for example, I hired a tech project manager a couple of years ago. Well, I find out his bent is he's done all this research on podcasting. We're together in this call because that became somewhat of his bent and he would do it on the side and show up and say, in fact, he started getting us the podcast gigs on his own. So what do I do? I buy him a course. You know, I'm going to put fuel on the fire for what is their bent. And I always want to make sure as I'm working my corporate team, I'm very keen to see their talents rise up, even though they're hired for a specific job. And I'll sometimes shift and move. So it's really understanding that the wealth is in the people economy and the talents that they develop. And so that's what I did in my family as I was developing people talent. And it wasn't so much their ability to be able to recite facts because we have facts all at our disposal. It's more knowing how to align the facts to understand models and to have filters in place of how people view the world. And everyone does have a distinct view of the world, et cetera. And I, I have my own view. I'm expressing it. But I, I wanted to make them raise up empowered children. And I don't like to teach to test. I just, I really don't like the traditional education system. I'm really kind of adverse to it, especially if it comes down from a top down a federal level, which that happened in about 1965. It's really more incumbent. I'm the parent and, and I felt confident as a savvy parent to know where I would put what I deemed important for them to go out into the world as good citizens with good values that didn't cause harm to people. And with worthy talents and skills to, you know, have a place in the, the global market. 
So it's not too surprising to our, our live one in Mexico and one in China. Yeah, I think it's it really speaks volumes to your ability to nurture their specific talents and and interests. And clearly, you you practice what you preach both in the workplace and at home. And that really that speaks volumes for for your capabilities, but also what you teach. And so I want to come around a little bit to one, what is e-commerce? Because I'm not sure everybody really understands what that is. So if you could clarify that a little bit, and then we'll talk a little bit about the business school itself. But can you explain a little bit what e-commerce is so we get everybody on the same page? Yeah, e-commerce is the exchange or the transaction of goods online. And they're, they're many and varied in shape, but primarily e-commerce is more a focus on physical goods because I've been a digital marketer for about 15 years now, and that's selling e-books and courses online. It's a form of e-commerce, but in general, e-commerce is more on the physical aspect. And so you can readily think of eBay and Amazon. You're not necessarily transacting the services, although Amazon has that in their massive, incredible ecosystem, but primarily physical goods that you buy through e-commerce. So that's primarily what it is. That's something that I've even seen. I mean, my husband works in the food industry and food Mm -hmm. innovation. And because of what's happening right now, I mean, they've been talking about sort of the future of work, and they've always distributed through Amazon and had sort of a presence on their website, but they were really more distributing through retailers. And now all of a sudden, they're having to, I really understand what is this whole space of e-commerce so that they can get their product to the customers that want it. And I think it's a fascinating, it's really hitting every physical industry. And it's a really important thing for people to understand the elements of it, but also the challenges of it. And I think, you know, what what I'm curious about is where I'm curious about a lot of things, of course, but but in terms of e-commerce and your experience with working with people who maybe have come from a traditional retail environment and some of the challenges and sort of the ahas and surprises that they've come across when they experience converting or adding e-commerce to the mix. I'm so glad you bring that up. I have a real passion, if you will, or a um, concern for the brick and mortar business owner who has not crossed over the bridge. And no doubt this coronavirus epidemic, what's, you know, pandemic is, is forcing the issue like never before. And it's interesting to see innovations happening left and right. But typically what I see is, because I've worked with physical brick and mortar business owners, they had to learn that whole ecosystem of doing that. Traffic being most important, the location, are they getting eyeballs, people coming in, the foot traffic, et cetera. The online space truly is so different because our pipelines are not, you know, your utilities, the paving, the parking lot expense, the signage over the store and all these things, there are parallels in the online space, but your tools are so incredibly vastly different. And my staff, I mean, this is like so normal. We, we are moving without a hitch because we work digitally and everything. But the demand right now on the IT people is off the charts because people are not accustomed to these tools. So that's part of it. And it's especially problematic for people who you know, I'm going to talk demographics. I don't think it's nearly as much a problem for, I think it's Generation Z, 
I think that's what it is. Yep. And then the millennials, et cetera, they've grown up with it. Like it's uh, plugged into their, you know, umbilical cord to technology, et cetera. Boomers and above, no. And so the boomers have a harder time and I do attract a lot of boomers, but, and they bring their very hard work ethic into the equation, which really helps them. But a big barrier to making this transition is technology. It's a completely different world. Our business is in the clouds. You know, it's in the electrons flowing through space. And I mean, I have feels like hundreds of pieces of equipment that I use. It's, it's not that, but I mean, I have a camera thing and all this kind of jazz. So my tools are very different. And then the marketing. So this is everything lives or dies upon marketing. So why the reason we start people with Amazon, it sounds like your husband gets that and they gain exposure to that. And there's a whole nother yet science or learning curve to you can be on Amazon or you can really be on Amazon. How do you really get your brand out there via Amazon? But what's really important to understand is there's different options with e-commerce. You could have a Shopify store, for example, basically an e-commerce. It's a a software Mm ready-made and then you build that and get your stuff in there. Or you go with a ready-made funnel. And so that distinction is so key. And that would be akin to you have your brick and mortar store on the corner of Maine and whatever. And the traffic is just crazy insane. And people know what you get the business, you got the foot traffic. But if you're not on that main street and you're off two miles down the road and you, you're at about a 10th of that traffic, it affects your business. Okay. And the only way you can counter that or not the only way, but you got to advertise. And so what Amazon does is they're a ready-made sales funnel. They've got the customers with credit card already in their system, 120 million roughly prime customers who are the most premium buying customers on the planet. And so when you can get your offer into the Amazon ecosystem, Amazon has done the bulk of the heavy lifting for you. And so what I like to do with my people is start them from the lowest tier of ease of transition or implementation and let them stair step themselves into then it can be Shopify. Because if you build a Shopify store, but you know nothing about traffic online, traffic generation, different than Mm warm or local, I should say, that's a whole science unto itself is learning online traffic. So I like to just move them sequentially into where they are then ready to make that bigger jump. Because if they start with Shopify as a brand newbie and know nothing about traffic, they'll be like that site that's two miles or 25 miles down the road with nobody seeing their beautiful site they built. That's a problem. Absolutely. It's interesting. I mean, I'm sort of immersed a little bit in this world right now because I've been trying to help them understand some of the tools that are out there and to help them connect to the podcast community for as affiliates. And they do, you know, they do Shopify already and they they've been using that and integrating that into some of the affiliate programs where influencers who are interested in their product can share their product with their audience, which is also really critical to sort of to get the word out by people who are trusted, trusted representatives of whatever it is that they're talking about, whether it's health and nutrition or whether it's a uh, lifestyle related. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on sort of the affiliate space, because I think that that is also quite interesting and something very new, sort of beyond couponing in a very different way, which was oh, the traditional yeah. in-store approach. So I'm curious as to uh, where that fits in in your e-commerce um, story. It fits in a lot. That's mm-hmm. actually how I came online in 2005. Uh, so 
my eldest son and I partnered up first off when he was 18 years old. He sponsored me into his direct sales company. So I go to town on it and I'm selling my stuff. This is local, by the way. Mm -hmm. I mean, Facebook was not around. Social media did not exist. Websites were barely getting out there. And so people were not taking him seriously doing this particular business venture. So I thought, I'm going to study affiliate marketing. So he was 19 years old at that time. And he did it for like Best Western. So affiliate marketing, just so people know, is when you make a referral and you have a link associated with it, and it's going to be cookie to you, or it's going to show up in the back office of whatever affiliate program it is that you got so many clicks on your link and you generated so many sales, et cetera. That's how affiliate marketing works. And it's gone mainstream because if you watch, go to webinar is featured on different shows, TV shows, and there's, I see their affiliate, you know, I'm keen to it because we've been doing it for so many years. So we launched our own affiliate program in 2007 and had about 70,000 affiliates, which was a very staggering number. We had an ebook. We did 4.2 million on our ebook. And that led into the upsell funnel, as they call it, where you can sell subsequent goods and make bigger commissions. And so affiliate commission, affiliate marketing has been around for quite a while. It started previous in the offline world, but it's been in the online world for some time. It's just now going mainstream. And, but it does really underscore a point. I think it was Bill Gates who said, if you're not online, you're not in business. I personally feel if you're not doing e-commerce, it'll be to a point you're not in business. Affiliate marketing is, that's again, a form of e-commerce. And so it's a beautiful, beautiful model. Affiliate marketing, which I taught in my ebooks, is a great way to start online. It's a great way to start because someone else has created the offer because creating an offer that converts is a whole art form onto itself. So if someone has a really good sales funnel, they've got a great offer, then you can promote it. Now, granted, that means you got to get that out. Well, now there's social media. We barely had it back then. And so you would write an article about it. You talk about it on Facebook, you talk about it on Twitter, and you'd have the affiliate link there and you can cloak it with a bit.ly or something. But basically, you can gain sales very quickly leveraging someone else's. So in your case, Heidi, if you have affiliate products of your program, your followers could then, if they're liking your stuff and you've got you know, these hacks or whatever you do with it to repackage and create, whether it's in a digital format or physical format for an offer, they can be affiliates of yours and it's a resource they can offer to other people and gain a commission. I love affiliate marketing. I still do it. I've made millions and millions of dollars through affiliate marketing. And so when there's like an affiliate promo, we typically bend the top performing and you get prizes in affiliate marketing and all this fun stuff. I love affiliate marketing. So I'm doing both because my e-commerce school teaches how to sell on Amazon, but I myself, I'm a digital marketer and affiliate marketer. I think it's a fascinating space. And I know a lot of my fellow podcasters also, we use that as a tool to finance our podcasts. So it's basically, and some are more selective than others as to what things they will promote. But for most of us, it's really, you know, it's an integral way of really identifying the products and tools that we use and we appreciate and sharing them with our audience. And there's often a beautiful reciprocity there where, you know, your audience gets a discount on whatever it is that they want to try. And then you get a little kickback that supports your show. And I think there's something really, for me, you know, when I did my PhD, I, I did a whole 
research thing I actually was going to do a theoretical dissertation, which is a whole nother story, but around social optimization theory, which is about the building and maintaining of mutually beneficial and effective relationships. And ultimately, that's what affiliate marketing is. And, you know, it fits perfectly into social optimization because there is that reciprocity there. It's about building trust, building relationships, and then sharing what you have available and that is needed for your audience. And there's, I just, I think it's a, it's a really powerful tool, whether it's for digital marketing or for e-commerce. I don't have a physical product, but I do see it in so many senses of, you know, my, there's products that I use that I share with my audience and I use them for supporting the show. And so I think that's a really, it's an important tool. In fact, we'll have to get your e-commerce business school listed in our resource deck so that we can uh, help people find you. But so when we get back more into sort of the business school aspect of it, what are the different elements that you find are the most, I mean, obviously you have people coming in at different levels where they have exposure to e-commerce or none and are trying to go from brick and mortar. What are some of the primary elements that you find are the most critical in the business school? Well, I'm a really firm believer in, we set up training programs and that what is most helpful for people, what I have seen, number one is I'm a, I'm a linear thinker type. It's just the way I'm wired. So I like things very linear, step-by-step methodical. So thankfully I have trainers who are aligned behind that same philosophy such that my goal to someone who's learning a new skill set is to mitigate the gaps in between one step to the next, because it's a very frustrating experience when you determine, I really want to learn this thing. And and you're going into step one and you hit a wall right out of the gate, that kind of a thing. So very linear step-by-step. And also uh, what I have found in in the online education system, because you don't feel necessarily maybe as safe as when you're in an eyeball-to-eyeball environment is but is the support going to be there? So I'm talking about the learning environment, the, the structuring of things, and then I'll get more into the mechanics. So it's that linear step-by-step and people like to be able to, at least I'm this way. I like to check things off. Okay. I got that done. Oh, Ease of brain next. Okay. Yep. That's out of my space now. And that, you know, just feeling that I'm making steady progress here. So we have, for example, a tool that I was using with my corporate team that we created the software tool back in 2007 called end of day tracker. And what the end of day tracker does is it's a, because there is this huge shift. Now I know you're addressing mostly brick and mortar, but even that's a shift though. I've worked with a lot of brick and mortar and this transition in a new space and how do I stay accountable? I'm really big on, because I come from the sports world. I tracked everything. How many pushups, how many setups, how many leg lifts? And I would time my gymnast. Okay. Handstand pushups. Let's go. Boom. How many in a minute? You know, that kind of thing. So anyways, with the end of day tracker, it's a tool in our back office and it holds them accountable. And it's got like four different measurements that can then become KPIs, key performance indicators, because you don't know what you don't know as we have more new business owners than we have current, I will say that. And so they're having to be acclimated and groomed up into a world that they're not accustomed to. And again, this this speaks to the challenge of a current education system that is just following in lockstep. And the brave new world doesn't work that way. There isn't necessarily, as an entrepreneur, it's not this lockstep process. And so we're acclimating them into the behaviors that are conducive to business success. Mm-hmm. And to think like an entrepreneur, because I have people who show up and they say, and I've never, I've never been my own boss, Ann. And they're in anxiety. Yeah. And tell me what to do, Ann. And their physiology gets all buttoned up and they're, 
you know, so we want to put mechanisms in place. And this is one end of day tracker. We also do a 10 day accountability boot camp right from the get go with any course. So I'm kind of speaking more to the, the mental game and the mental setup, the parameters that we put in place because you can have, and I make a distinction. There's plenty of training companies out there. There's no lack. And I said, but training is only one piece of the educational process. Mm-hmm. It's really the, the platform that you reside on that gives you then what people are looking for is confidence, especially as people transition and they are at a record pace right now. They want to know that they can throw down their roots and they want the removal of angst and uncertainty of an outcome. And so it's kind of all these psychological parameters that I'm keenly aware of that I want to mitigate because I've had, for example, to digress just briefly, I had a really terrible gymnastics coach was my first encounter. And I had a really awesome one. And the, the initial one had an environment of complete fear in her gym. There are many accidents. And she didn't teach a logical step-by-step progression. Well, no wonder. One girl broke her teeth on the high bar as she went over the vault and just crazy things happened. And I thought, that's just not healthy. That's not a healthy environment, not mentally, emotionally, anything that's really conducive to a a good positive outcome. Mm -hmm. So then when I was exposed to a different coach, I thought, now that's logical. I'm always looking for what's logical. Yeah. So anyways, back to the parameters of setting that up. And then there's the the whole technical, the technical aspect of it. Here's something too that I see in terms of this is kind of human behavior stuff. People like to know, we live in the context of time. When I begin this, when can I expect that? So we now have a like a 90-day peak performance program that we put together. Astonishing what it does to people's psychology, their um, mental aspect coming into it is, oh, you mean to tell me with this checklist and when I follow this timeline and your proven results, I can start here and I can be there in 90 days. I think That's that would, right. I would certainly, for people that are very goal-oriented, That is so critical because they're like, okay, how do I get from A to B and where is B and when am I done? But then I want to make sure that we cover a little bit about there's, you know, you see, we we talked a little bit about Gen Z and there's sort of this big promise of the, you know, the gold bucket and the internet and drop shipping. Mm -hmm. And there's, you know, these ideas that, you know, you can get rich quick from being a YouTube star or where does e-commerce fit into these particular models that they have sort of, you know, they aspire to be, but it's a lot more complex than they may think about. And I think particularly for a global nomad audience or a digital nomad audience, these are critical things to understand so that they have realistic expectations. But it's not to say that those things don't work, but it's to understand sort of what are the complexities that go into something like drop shipping or becoming a YouTube star that actually makes money or a gamer, an e-gamer that actually makes money. Yeah. Wow. Really extreme business models for one. Mm. So I have to say that. So people are clear on that. I've read several articles about, I'm going to just, I just have to speak in the detriments of the YouTube star thing, stardom. I I just, I subscribed to Wall Street Journal and they had an article in there maybe six months ago or so. And I'm not necessarily dissing it, but I have personally experienced this whole thing where you get your brand out there in a really big way. There are pros and cons, my friends. (laughs) There, count the cost. And you don't know how to count those costs when you're young. And I was older when I got into it. But this whole building the brand thing, it's hardcore. It's heavy duty. And it can be a brain tripper. I'm just saying. 
because I've experienced it. I've had perfect strangers walking in my backyard trying to find me and this and that. I'm like, I got to go into a gated community. This is freaking me out. This is like about 10 years ago when we launched Real Big Online. But no, it's interesting to see there's these two twin brothers who are big YouTube guys, and they're kind of backing down because it's, it's a head trip. It's a serious head trip. So I just put that caution in there, really research the pros and cons of that. One of our staff members is a Generation Z. She's extremely talented. She just got her degree in psychology. She's now getting her master's in psychology. And I can't remember the, I think it was social communication, something like that. Mm-hmm. And she's very, very sharp and she's got exposure. She's a bodybuilder gal, very teeny little thing, but she's a bodybuilder. But it's, and also Gen Z thinks differently about that. They're cool mm-hmm. about talking about all their their weaknesses and stuff that my generation, that's in the closet. But no, the Gen Z, they got it right out core and center. And they're totally cool talking about that. But I just want to say it's a completely different business model. And here's why. You're the product. In that business model, you are the product and you darn well be ready for that kind of a, a game because it is a different game. It really is. And it may wear you thin emotionally because it's like people are now getting their sustenance from you. Mm-hmm. And it's like, really? Like people would say, I listen to your book so I'm falling asleep in. And they start to follow you at this level up here. That's a little bit disconcerting. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so with e-commerce and selling physical products, it has none of those aspects. You can. There are people who do build their YouTube brand and you can leverage Amazon to build your brand and have print-on-demand products, for example, around your brand. And that's called, you know, just monetization of your brand because you don't get into that just for fame. It's you are doing your fame for branding and selling stuff. So it can go in that direction. And I, I can get it. I get it why it happens for the young girls in particular. And they see the Kardashians and this whole new social phenomenon. So it's, it's kind of a different bucket, but it can, you can bring e-commerce into it definitely. And you can use Amazon to launch your brand further significantly because they're building Amazon live and they plan to compete with YouTube. Good luck on that, but they'll have some good leverage there. So e-commerce as an Amazon seller is a model that's really meant for cash flow. You're not going to be building a brand if you're just flipping products and you want to just move products that sell that have demand. It's really just a cash flow business. And for my boomers, they like it because they're not as into this whole brand. They're, you know, what's a 50 and 60 year old going to do with their brand, right? <laughs> they don't get followings like the youngsters do. It's a more natural thing for the youngsters. It's a simpler business model. So we start with, so I just want to make clear when it comes to e-commerce, there are many different what we call sourcing methods. And that's what kind of method you use for what products to sell on Amazon or eBay or anything. Because that's the main question there is, I don't want to buy stuff that doesn't end up selling. Like the big fear is, well, I don't want a garage full of stuff that doesn't sell. And I've tied up $10,000 in stuff that's not selling. Mm -hmm. That doesn't need to happen. So I want to make that really clear of a Merrill Lynch has been talking to me about it and his wife is going to start a t-shirt business. He's terrified of this idea of a big money sack. And indeed it can be. That is dependent on the sourcing method that you use. Mm-hmm. So we start our people with a very simple model of arbitrage, which is kind of like drop shipping. So with arbitrage, the term arbitrage means, are you okay with me going into this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I think this okay. is a, an important thing because a lot of people that are on the move they don't want to have to be handling product. Exactly. Yeah. So we're going to talk how you can have this completely hands off. 
So arbitrage happens all over the world. It means to buy low and sell high. So we see price differentials is, is another way to look at it from an economic standpoint. So, you know, with gas, for example, you're at one end of the main street and it's showing however much a gallon. And at two miles down the road, they're selling a different price. That's price differentials. Now, in the online space, so you can source, source just means to find, you could find a product from, let's say, Barnes & Noble online, as an example, or Target, just use Target and Walmart. You can buy those online and flip them and sell them for a profit on Amazon, okay? And my members, this is how they start, and they do very, very well. They quit jobs, they buy new homes, they buy cars, they go on vacations, they're mobile. This is six years of this, and it has not diminished. So buying low, selling high, and that all comes down to knowing the data then. So this is a very data-driven business, and so if data is not your thing, but I will put in this caveat, you better like numbers if you want to go into business, because a business is all about the numbers. So if you're like, I hate numbers, well, then I would just say, get a partner who does like the numbers, could be a possible solution. So when we came online, it was my husband, my son, and I, we incorporated, and we each had a particular strength that we brought into the business equation. And I'm so big on that. Granted, not all partnerships work, most don't, but this is a family one and it worked extremely well because we had done a lot of that during the growing up years with the boys. But anyways, it's not like you have to possess every good business attribute in your own little being because that's mm-hmm. kind of hard to do. I don't know if you do strengths finders. Mm-hmm. talk about that all. Yeah. So we have our whole staff to strengths finder and we do the same with our community. We give training on that, but we teach play to your strengths, but all to say, regardless of businesses, the foundation is you got to know your numbers. So with that, we have tools and resources so that people know, do they have the right data points and do they know how to evaluate them to make a smart buying decision? Because this is more, I tell people, yeah, you're buying these products, but you're more like an investor. As much as someone here is the analogy, when they buy a house low, and they fix it up, Chip and Joanna Gaines, maybe the Z, Generation Z have heard of them, I don't know, but have you heard of Chip and Joanna Gaines? Mm-hmm. The, okay. So that's the model there is buy low, they fix it up and they sell it for a, what's the magic word? Profit. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're doing here with these products is we're buying low. We look at all the data points. We teach you how to do that. And then you sell for high. That's arbitrage. And then, and that sets your cash foundation because we teach the three pillars of e-commerce success. And these three pillars apply to any business. Doesn't matter what it is anywhere in the world. So it's to build cash flow, it's to automate systems, and it is to build assets. Now, not all business models allow you that, you know, to build an asset, which means it puts money in your pocket and it's something you can sell. That brings up an important point. So when I came online, everything was branded around me. I can't sell that to someone branded to me. That's where you, the pros and cons, every business model has pros and cons. And I continue to leverage my brand name because I built it. It costs a lot of money to build. So I want to preserve that asset. But that is a cost you have to be aware of is if it's all built around like a YouTuber, who's going to step into your shoes and be your personality? Mm Kind of hard to do. Yeah, It's just something to consider. It's not a good, bad, right or wrong. It's just, it's knowing the pros and cons and what is most suited for you. Because e-commerce isn't suited for everybody. This arbitrage model isn't suited. Some people go, ugh. But I'll just quickly talk about other sourcing methods that people then can evolve up and into that then require higher levels of sophistication and understanding, basically with more variables at play. And anytime you have more variables at play, 
you increase the likelihood of failure, stuff mm-hmm. not working. You know, so in business, the goal is mitigate as many risks as you can. Hence why I start them at arbitrage. That's about as low mitigation as you can possibly get because it's already selling. Mm-hmm. You're not, oh man, I got this coolest idea. I know it's going to sell. And you put it out on the marketplace and no one's buying it. That's big risk. So we're all about just knowing the metrics and the numbers. So additional sourcing methods would be obviously wholesale, private label, sourcing from China, which is kind of a mixture of wholesale and private label, going on to Shopify. You got to be prepared to drive your own traffic to your site. And But I would say private label is probably the most sophisticated because you're going to put money into a brand and into a product and it takes time for that to happen. And my goodness, what could happen in the marketplace in between the time you start and the time it's ready, which could be six, nine months, you know, original equipment manufacturing, OEM. And you go, oh man, because look what's happening right now. Oh yeah. Huge shifts. And by the way, the way I embrace this thing that's going on is I think it's going to create a somewhat of a renaissance effect. When you look at the dark ages and the renaissance and the dark ages had the bubonic plague and all that jazz, I'm already seeing innovation happening left and right. And I watch what's happening in the schools and I'm like, yeah, and things are going to change Yeah, because people are going to get empowered and they're going to taste something different. You got to remember the college systems, they're a business model. Yeah. They're businesses, they market. And so there's kind of this renting of the cloth going on right now. That's very intriguing to me as like a scientist peering over this <laughs> lab situation that's going on. My dad was a physicist. So I'm just, it's kind of like, okay, what's going to play out here? I saw a new dating app and a this and a that and a this and that. Human nature is wired for innovation. The innovation that comes out of this will be astounding. Absolutely. Astounding. Absolutely. And and I think the people that are helping lead that process and helping guide people through that process are going to be absolutely critical. So thank you so much for doing the work that you're doing. I think there's going to be a lot of people that need your help to maybe do a little handholding in this process. And and clearly you've gotten a head start. So really appreciate you're doing what you're doing and being out there to support others who are interested in getting involved in e-commerce. And I want to make sure that folks can find you. What's the best way for them to reach out if they're interested in learning more about e-commerce or the e-commerce business school? Well, we have a webpage, ecommercebusinessschool.com. You'll find a lot of resources there. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram and LinkedIn. So ecommercebusinessschool.com. And I also would like, if you're open for it, Heidi, for you to have the ability to have like our starter program would be most perfect because With FBA, the Fulfillment by Amazon business model, you have to ship the products into Amazon. There is a way with one of our programs where it's it's completely hands-off and perfect for a digital nomad because you can hire VAs to do the work for you. Yeah. Mm, We like that. (laughs) Delegation. (laughs) Delegation. And with our automated systems that are given to the VAs and you can have someone else do the shipping. So it literally can become a completely hands-off business. We have a software engineer who came in in August through a podcast, by the way. He just posted yesterday about his results. He works full time, yeah. But man, he's so excited and he plans to sell it hopefully by end of 2020. Albeit a lot of things have changed, but we're seeing a lot of growth for our sellers. Why? Because things are going online. But so if 
you know, maybe we can have a special link for you, uh, Heidi. With that that would be great. Program. Well, we'll put that in the show notes. And uh, like I said, so it's, we're a new show, but we will be putting together a resource guide that will be linked to the show so and to all of our shows so that folks can find the things that we're talking about on Global Nomad Hacks and to learn more about what the resources are, but also the ones that we particularly recommend, which I highly recommend. For those of you global nomads who've enjoyed today's show to definitely go and check out Anne's work. And of course, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review because we're a new show and it will help us get more visibility so other folks can find us and find the great resources that we're talking about. Thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate your taking the time to uh, sit and and listen to all the great stuff that Anne has to offer and to share a little bit of Global Nomad Hacks for the day. Until next time, bye-bye for now.